This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody! Another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and joining me today on this otherwise uneventful Sunday night is my friend, my co-host, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us. There's truly nowhere, and I really mean this sincerely, nowhere I would rather be this particular Sunday night then uh, it, I guess that comes off as sarcastic and deadpan, actually. But no, I'm actually really excited. I don't even know. Like, we, we were talking about where's the Super Bowl happening this year. Doesn't even matter. I actually didn't understand why there were no Sunday night games until about 10 minutes ago. Well, okay, now we know. And obviously, we're very happy for people to be not watching us live and watching the Super Bowl. And you'll catch us tomorrow morning when all the football's over and done with. I promise we'll talk about the St. Louis Blues So that'll be as close as we get to Super Bowl talk. Before we get to that, though, let's, of course, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the top fantasy hockey website out there. Most of us in our fantasy leagues are approaching the trade deadline. So now's kind of our last chance to make our big, like, buy low, sell high. We've got to make a lot of important decisions. So why not check out that site for all the daily articles, get the ramblings, get the up-to-date analyses of everything going on, plus all the tools you're going to need to help make your important decisions over on frozen tools, line combos, starting goalies, everything you need, DauberHockey.com. Trust me, it's good. You're not going to go there and be like, what is this garbage website they're sending us to? No, I promise you're going to go to DauberHockey.com and you are going to be there for a while. Okay, Brian, let's get started with the big news of this week. We've got a couple trades to discuss, and I want to get right into it and talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins getting Nick Bjugstad and Jared McCann from Florida for Derek Brassard, Riley Sheehan, and some picks. And I want to start on the Penn side, because every single time I feel like the Pittsburgh Penguins make a trade and get a player who could foreseeably play in the top six, everyone goes bananas. Everyone loses their mind. You see, I saw Bjugstad's percentage ownership skyrocketing on Yahoo and our Facebook group. Everyone's like, should I drop this guy for Bjugstad? Should I drop this guy for Bjugstad? And I'm going to throw out a take here and we'll discuss it and we'll see at the end. I don't know. I'm not so into Bjugstad. I might even be more into Derek Brassard if I wanted to add one of the guys from this trade. But we'll get into all of it. So Bjugstad, 26 years old, former first round pick. He's kind of been jumping on and off our radars ever since we started the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey podcast. He put up a 49-point pace in 2014-15, which was his second season. He was averaging almost three shots per game. We were talking about it. I was like, oh, this guy's great. He's like really good for shots. He's going to score some goals for you. Really good stream whenever you could get him into your lineup. 
And then he went quiet for a few years, but then broke back into the spotlight at the end of last season, actually. He jumped onto the Dadunov-Barkov line and ended the year with 17 points in his final 23 games. It was a huge surge for Bjugstad, and it made him some of the people were drafting going into this year, hoping that that would continue, and he did start the year on the top line, but then he got bumped from that line into the bottom six, a little bit of time on the second line, but he kind of fell off our radars until actually very recently, like just in the last episode when Vincent Trocek came back, we were talking about, ooh, Bjugstad playing on line two with Trocek and Huberto. That might be a good spot. You might want to stream in and if you can't get Frank Vetrano, who was our big, you know, must add of the week. And yeah, he was doing okay. He actually had two points in his final three games as a Panther. But now Bjugstad goes to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And as usual, like I said, we saw that classic. Oh my God, he's on the Penguins. He's going to play with Crosby or Malkin. Who should I drop for him? Percent ownership spike. But my question to you is, Brian, is Bjugstad actually in a better spot now than he was in before? Because, like I said, he was playing on a line with Chocek and Huberto. He was on the second power play with Chocek. It was looking pretty good. Now he's on the Penguins. Unfortunately, we don't exactly know where he's going to line up because Evgeny Malkin has missed the last couple of games with an upper body injury. Supposedly, day-to-day shouldn't be long-term. Hopefully, hopefully. So he, so Bjugstad was centering a line with Kessel and Rust, but who knows what will happen once Malkin is back. So, Brian, where do you see Bjugstad slotting in once Malkin is healthy? Does he get into the top six or does he replace Broussard as the third-line center? Do you see Bjugstad's value improved? as much as his percentage ownership spike seems to indicate. So you just uttered the word, once Malkin is healthy, which is not the most automatic of assumptions, right? The best we can surmise is that something happened in the fight with Steven Stamkos, and it seems like it's not going to be a long time. Like, no one's saying that it's going to be short or long, really. They just said he's going to miss a couple games, which sometimes with guys like Malkin becomes another couple games and another couple games. It's an upper body injury. It's a little concerning. So if you own Evgeny Malkin, there's nothing you can do about it. It's unfortunate. I actually had to trade offer out in one league for Evgeny Malkin and Elon's probably rolling his eyes, like wondering, okay, who are you even offering? Like David Perron. It was, I think it was a fair offer, but I actually retracted it because I don't want an Evgeny Malkin with an upper body injury and no timeline to return. So we've got a little while to wait until he's back, and uh, or pot- potentially. Yeah, but I think this is a, this is fear mongering, Brian. Like they're saying, he might be back by next week. <laughs> by the time people listen to this, he might be playing. True. So I well, it's just it sounded so automatic when he said once once Malkin is healthy. I just feel like it, it's not so automatic. But I'm going to, for the sake of this segment, assume that Malkin is going to be healthy before too long after dropping that big warning. So let's take stock of the Penguins' top six. You've got Crosby and Gensel and Malkin and Kessel as the duos. And then you've got two third-wheel spots open. The contenders for those third-wheel spots are Brian Rust, Dominic Simone, Patrick Hornquist, Tanner Pearson, and now Nick Bjugstad. You've got five guys fighting for two spots. So I think Pearson is probably nearly out of the running to land one. And it also seems like the Penguins aren't playing Hornquist up with Crosby anymore. They don't like it or Crosby doesn't like it. So that means that Bjugstad is probably contending with Rust and Simone for a top six spot. And to be honest, I think he's got a shot. I'm a little more optimistic about Bjugstad and Pittsburgh than you are, Elon. If Bjugstad does get there uh, into the top six, of course, he's probably as valuable as either Rust or Simone have been for the last several weeks, maybe more, which means that if you see Bjugstad playing in the top six, he's worth a stream when he's there. And I am optimistic on Bjugstad because looking at the numbers of that whole group 
of third wheel candidates that I just mentioned. Nick Bjugstad sits second amongst Russ, Simone, Hornqvist, and Pearson uh, since the start of last season in offensive generation numbers. Like if you're looking at who contributes the most expected goals for, uh, it's, well, it's Patrick Hornqvist. But then the next best is Nick Bjugstad, who pits the most pucks on nets per 60 minutes. It's Patrick Hornqvist, but then followed by Nick Bjugstad. And seeing as how Hornqvist might have fallen out of favor, I think this could be a really great opportunity for Bjugstad to get a chance to get going again the way he was going last year on the top line in Florida. Okay, like, okay, you've left out one, I think, potential possibility, which is the Penguins have traded away their third line center. Bjugstad is a center, has played center before. He could just take over from Broussard and center the third line, even if, like you say, he may be better fit, like maybe the best option for the top six, but they need to have a third line center. So I don't know. I feel like for sure I like Bjugstad. Like I've always thought he was a decent stream every once in a while, even when he was kind of like doing nothing on Florida. He takes shots. Like I agree that there's something there, but I don't think he's like an automatic ad as people have been assuming. And like, I want to remind people of just like when the Penguins got Tanner Pearson earlier this year everyone was like oh my god I gotta grab Tanner Pearson he might play with Crosby or Malkin remember last year when Broussard went to Pittsburgh everyone lost their minds and he didn't really do that well even a couple years ago I remember David Perron he got traded to the Penguins and Brian I remember you and I like were so proud of ourselves for being on top of that and adding Perron in our joint league and he didn't really do anything on the Penguins so you know also they changed their lines around a lot like you might see Bjug set on one of those lines for a game or two and then things can change. So yeah, I'm personally not going crazy about him, but if, you know, if you have a spot for him, why not give him a flyer? He has one assist so far in his two games. He had five shots yesterday, even though he didn't get a point against Toronto. So obviously he's not nothing. He's good, but I think he's similar to what Broussard was before the trade. Um, disagree. I think Bjergstad is a better option than Broussard. It's actually been a really rough year for Derek Broussard. I don't know if you're ready for me to get into this now. Um, before I, I jump to the Broussard side, Side of things, though. Let's also mention that Jared McKen went to Pittsburgh, and you're saying maybe Bjorkstad is going to be the third line center. Well, that's a role that Jared McKen can fill also. And then you've got Matt Cullen also in Pittsburgh right now. So between those four guys, uh, you've got Crosby, McKen, and Cullen, and then a healthy Malkin. They don't need to use Bjorkstad down the middle. They can, but this was a great move for the Penguins to shore up their center depth. As for Derek Broussard, can I, you want me to tell you why I'm not uh, a believer in him this year? Well, no. How about let me get to him because we're still on Pittsburgh. Well, you just, okay, fine. But I'll, so I'll, the little, the TLDR before anything happens, the prescript is that I think Bjorkstad is better positioned in terms of his own talent and ability to make good use of his time in Pittsburgh than Derek Broussard was this season. Okay, sure. But moving forward, I'm going to want to make a bet with you then of Brassard or Bjorkstad in their new situations. But we'll get to it, okay? While we're on Pittsburgh, I want to quickly mention you brought up Patrick Hornquist before. Should Patrick Hornquist owners continue to be patient? Like he's once again in the bottom six and he's pointless in four games since returning from his injury. Ryan, we have him in our joint league. There's some tasty looking free agents out there. We got Riley Smith, Jeff Carter, Justin Williams. I hope none of our opponents are listening and thinking, oh, that does look like a nice look group of free agents. Maybe I should. But like Patrick Hornquist is doing nothing right now but there's been stretches earlier in the season where he was doing nothing and then all of a sudden he would score one or two goals every game for like a couple of weeks so what do you think do Patrick Hornfist owners hold on or do you think now that this change has been made is that an indication that Hornfist is going to be sticking in the bottom six we have a lot of flux in the Pittsburgh lineup right now with these two players uh, McCann and Bjorkstad coming in Broussard going out Malkin being injured did I say that already so uh, Hornfist It's really hard to say what's going to happen with him, but it really, to me, the fact that he's playing on the third line and not getting opportunities, although I think uh, the last time I checked, he was still on the top power play unit, so there's some value there. But it seems like the Penguins, 
like I feel like they're kind of over Patrick Hornqvist, and I wonder if he is a trade ship for them going like I don't know if he's the best third line option for them so I'll be very curious to see how they use him going forward it's hard to tell there's a lot of dust that needs to settle first I can tell you I own Hornqvist in two leagues and I'm not excited about it I'm not doing anything about it yet but I'm not excited about it are you including our joint league in those two leagues or are those two other leagues? Yeah, those are two other leagues. Obviously. So I, own, not. I own Hornquist in three leagues. What a jerk. You know what? Next year, Brian, I'm just going to run this team by myself. You know what? I own Hornquist in two <laughs> leagues and we own him in one league. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, the thing with Patrick Hornquist is he is on that top power play, like you say, but it is interesting because when he has been injured, Jake Gensel's seem to fit in just fine on the top power play in his stead. So maybe they can trade him and get someone for him. I don't exactly know what Pittsburgh needs. They do have Justin Schultz coming back soon. So not it's not as if they like need defense. They've already got one guy coming in soon. Okay, Brian, let's go to the Panthers. Let's talk about Bre- Derek Broussard. He had his debut yesterday in the 3-1 win over Vegas. And interestingly, he didn't play center. I was shocked. I thought for sure he was going to be a third-line center just like he was on Pittsburgh. But no, he took Bjugstad's spot on the Vincent Trocek line or on Trocek's wing. And actually, the Panthers shook everything up because they ended up going with Barkov, Dadanov, and Huberdo, which was the first line at the beginning of last year when Dadanov first got to the team. Then they had Trocek with Hoffman and Brassard. And then the third line was Borgstrom with Vetrano and Riley Sheehan, who's also you know newly acquired in this trade. And the top power play was Barkov, Dadanov, Hoffman, Huberdo, Yandel. And then Brassard got onto the second power play with Trocek, Vetrano, Borgstrom, Aaron Ekblad. So, Brian, if this sticks, and you got to assume it's going to stick for a little bit, they did win their last game, right? That seems like great news for Derek Brassard. He, if he's going to be playing with Hoffman and Trocek on the second line and also on this second power play unit with some good stars like uh, Vincent Trocek and, you know, Aaron Ekblad. So, I feel like I really like what Brassard is doing right now. He actually assisted on Mike Hoffman's third period goal yesterday. And let's not forget that Brassard is like not so far removed from being a strong fantasy contributor. He put up 38 points in 58 games for a 54-point pace before, uh, like last year before the Sens traded him to Pittsburgh. And the years before that, he was always a consistent like 55 to 60-point guy. So, except for that one year in Ottawa, his first year in Ottawa, he did nothing. But yeah, would I be crazy to say, Brian? I guess I've already said it, like that that I pr- currently prefer to own Broussard over Bjugstad if I was taking a flyer on someone that was involved in this trade. So it's all about who's going to land in the top six and who's not going to. Right now, it's good news for Derek Broussard that he had a spot in the top six upon arrival in Florida. The thing that concerns me about Broussard is he's not the player he once was. Um, He can get points by osmosis pretty well if he does get to play with Trocek and Hoffman, which, yeah, is a brand new line. Um, The thing about Broussard is that he's having pretty much his worst season in recent memory, both by his counting stats and the ones we look at under the hood. So I feel like Broussard, like you're talking about who can slide into a third line center role. You mentioned Bjugstad might do that. I think Broussard actually needs to be the one to do that in Florida. And I think that would mean Vitrano pops back up into the top six. Like if you're a Vitrano owner panicking that he got bumped out, I would wait another game or two if you can afford the patience just in case uh, Vitrano does get bumped back up to the top six before very long. Like if it were me coaching the Panthers, I would much rather have Vitrano on that top line than Broussard, have Broussard center my third line. Uh, and then like the, the Panthers roll heavily or rely heavily on their top two lines anyway. So I would load them up if well, I were Florida. And that means Vitrano's there and Broussard's not. 
Well, I don't know. Like Henrik Borgström, I think he's a center. They like him centering the third line. So yeah, like he was centering the second line before Trocek came back. So what do you think? I don't think they're going to send Borgström all of a sudden down to the fourth line. So I think it kind of makes sense that Broussard gets to play wing and he's going to be in the top six. I think he's probably a better player than Vitrano. You would think. I don't know. Like obviously one's near the beginning of his career, one's near the end of his career. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Like you said, this could be bad news for Frank Vitrano, who last week we were calling a must, must add as he was playing on the top line. Now all of a sudden he's playing on this line with Henrik Borgström and who was it? Riley Sheehan was obviously a bit of a downgrade. He did score a goal in the last game. It was actually assisted by Barkov was at the end of the game. So I don't know what was going on right there at the end. Uh, Brian, last show, you also said, since we're on Florida, you talked about Mike Hoffman as a potential sell high. You were looking into some of his numbers and also we were talking about how he was playing in the bottom six. And you were saying maybe things didn't look super sustainable. Are we still considering Mike Hoffman a sell high at the trade deadline, or now are you going to take it back because it's a whole different situation and he's playing on this line with Trocek? Well, he has just one point in his last four games, which proves nothing. I was not right yet to say that we should sell high, although his ice time really did dip. He was down to like 13 and 14 minutes a game just for a couple games, and it's since bounced up a little bit. But last game against Vegas, he played just 15 minutes and 10 seconds, had one goal on only two shots. In fact, in three of his last four games, he's had two shots or less, which... Like, I don't know, he said zero, two, and two shots. The other game, he had seven shots. So maybe I'm making too big a deal about that, trying to read into my own, like the narrative I'm trying to build here about Mike Hoffman. I, again, like this is like Pittsburgh. There are a lot of pieces that have just changed. I don't know what the line, like this is a situation where we need to look at how the lines are this week to figure out where the value is. I don't know why now the Panthers would bump Hoffman up into the top six. Like, can you think of a reason that they would promote him compared to before? Well, I guess they thought Bjugstad had earned a spot, and now Bjugstad's gone. So I don't know. I guess that's the reason. But who knows? They won last game, so they're going to keep it for a little bit. Let's stop speculating. We'll maybe touch base back on both the Panthers and the Penguins next week or in a couple of weeks and see how things are going. Let's go and talk about the other big trade that happened last week. We saw Jake Muzzin get traded to the Leafs for a first pick and two apparently solid prospects in Carl Gunderstrom. And Sean Dursey. Did I say that? Grunstrom. I was just trying to read that without actually thinking. Carl Grunstrom. I know all about Carl Grunstrom. Actually, Brian, we, I know we have a whole thing slated to talk about him and Sean Dursey, but how about we save that for a future episode? And for now, let's focus on Jake Muzzin. Just like with Bjugstad, this Muzzin trade to the Leafs caused uh, Muzzin's Yahoo percent ownership to spike pretty huge and again not to be debbie downer but i'm not sure if the increase is all that justified though of course i'm very curious to hear what you think about jake muzzin now as a leaf like he so jake muzzin he's been a 40 plus point guy in three of the last four seasons for the kings but he definitely took a step back this year he only has 21 points in 50 games with the kings before he went over to the Leafs. got to imagine a lot of that was due to la finally switching to that four forward one d-man power play so they bumped muzzin from the top power play as he'd been playing there for a lot of the last few seasons now on the leafs Muzzin has played two games. He has no points so far. He took his first two shots as a Leaf yesterday versus the Pens. He was playing on the first pairing with Morgan Riley, and he played on the second power play, much like in LA. So he was on a power play with actually Jake Gardner, who was two defensemen on the second power play, and then Nylander, Marlowe, and Andreas Janssen. Uh, so he, I don't know, the way I see it, Jake Gardner last year had 52 points, and that was with 15 of them being on the power play, and Toronto had two pretty even power play units, and I feel like that was a big part of why Jake Gardner w- was able to get all the way up to 52 points. This year, the Leafs have stacked the top power play, and Gardner's production has taken a big hit as a result, 
And to me, like, I don't see a big reason to expect Jake Muzzin to do anything more than what we've been expecting from Jake Gardner this year. Like, is is Jake Muzzin, like, a much better offensive contributor than Jake Gardner? I don't think so. So I feel like at the best, I would project Jake Muzzin as a Leaf to do the same thing as what Jake Gardner's been doing as a Leaf, which is, you know, not too great. Maybe upside for 40 points, but probably less. I don't know. So, Brian, do you see any reason to expect a sudden surge in points from Muzzin, or do you expect him to fall back into free agency soon in any league where he was a free agent before the trade? I'm with you completely on this one, Elon. I don't see a whole lot of added value with Muzzin in Toronto, which kind of sounds crazy. I mean, some might think, well, this plus minus is going to be a lot better, but Muzzin was already a plus 10 in Los Angeles. So if your league counts that, that is, you can't really improve a whole lot on that already. So if you weren't interested in him for that plus 10 before, you might not be interested in it from him now. I guess you could hope that Muzzin being on a team that scores more goals will help him collect a couple more points. Uh, both the Leafs and Kings have played 51 games so far, but Toronto has scored 63 more goals in LA. So if you're owning Muzzin, then I guess you're hoping he can occasionally get in on that extra goal per game being scored by his new team compared to his old team. Outside of that, Elon, I think your comparison of Muzzin to the other Jake on Toronto is pretty apt. Both guys have some offensive ability. Neither one is really being counted on for it. Morgan Riley has that role locked down on the top power play. Both might get points because they're playing on such a talented goal-scoring team, but neither one's value or, well, changes a whole lot with this trade and, I guess, Muzzin specifically. Yeah, I look at them as like TJ Brody and Noah Hannafin on the Flames. You know, like guys who are pretty good to stream in. They might get a point every once in a while, but I'm not going to expect like 50 plus points from someone not on the loaded top power play. So I see it as the same. Not to say it's not like a good move by the Leafs. Like you could maybe argue, did they pay too much to get Jake Muzzin? But obviously they needed defense. Muzzin's a solid guy. We'll see how it goes. I think the Leafs uh, shored up a position that they needed. So I don't want people to say like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not saying anything bad about the Leafs decision. I'm just saying Jake Muzzin as a fantasy asset hasn't changed in value in my opinion. On the other side of that trade, we've got the Kings, and there's one, to me, one clear beneficiary of Muzzin leaving the Kings, and that's got to be Alec Martinez, who saw second power play time yesterday. He had 43.6% of the total power play time for the Kings in their game yesterday, and that was the first time he played over 10% of the time on the power play since November. So Alec Martinez has been a guy who's been good for blocks all year, but now is going to have to be relied upon to play more of an offensive role with Jake Muzzin out of the picture. A couple years ago, Alec Martinez hit 39 points. It was his career high back in 2016-17. Do you think that now that Muzzin's out of the way, Alec Martinez could somewhat approach that 39-point pace for the rest of this season, in addition to helping your fantasy team with all those blocks? Well, with second power play unit time, Alec Martinez has generally been able to put up uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 power play points a year, give or take. So now that he's got that time back, sure, like count on him for a better pace than 24 points that he's had so far this year. Although keep in mind last year, Martinez paced for 27 points with that second power play time with 11 power play points, two power play goals, nine assists. So look, I I don't think uh, Martinez's value really rises a whole lot. Maybe as a streamer, you might be more interested in him, but if I'm choosing between Martinez and Muzzin, which you didn't ask me, but if I am, I still prefer Jake Muzzin. 
Yeah, I would too. But I just say like maybe Martinez went from like a 25 to 30 point guy to like a 35 point guy. And that could be valuable if you're also getting his hits. LA plays Monday, Tuesday next week. So you could always stream Martinez in after you listen to this. See how he does. You could always drop him after a couple of games. Okay, so that's it for the two trades. Let's go to some injuries and outjuries. We've got a big name who came back on Saturday, yesterday for the Anaheim Ducks. Corey Perry finally had his triumphant return. And of course, by triumphant, I mean that it was a effing disaster, a terrible game. The Jets scored six goals on John Gibson in the first period on the way to a 9-3 trouncing. For what it's worth, for Corey Perry, he actually ended the game with even plus minus. So I, uh, there were a lot of power play goals. Uh, like, uh, I think that uh, Jack Roslovich, all three of his goals yesterday were power play goals. So I don't know. But for what it's worth, Corey Perry wasn't so bad in terms of plus or minus at even strength. Again, that's not worth much. And he did take four shots. So that's good. He didn't get any points. He played on a stacked top line with Getzlaff and Raquel. He slotted into the second power play. And I'd imagine it won't be long before Corey Perry gets onto that top power play unit, bumping someone like Nick Ritchie. So, Brian, here's the obvious question. Like, Corey Perry's old. And the Ducks have been terrible lately. Getzlaff and Raquel have been huge disappointments so far. So it's not like playing with them is like the hugest prize right now. But that said, Corey Perry has been fantasy relevant for his whole career. And even though he slowed down, he still had a 57-point pace last year, 49 points in 71 games. So it's not as if he's fallen off yet. Now he's back from surgery. Maybe he's stronger than ever. I like the fact that he was able to take four shots on goal, do something for your fantasy team yesterday. So should people go out and grab Corey Perry if he's available in free agency, they can enjoy the Ducks' nice off-day schedule, get him into your lineup like more often than you get someone else. Or do you just say, like, the Ducks suck, Corey Perry's going to suck, don't even touch this team and anyone on it? That's the biggest argument to not go for Corey Perry, and that's that Anaheim is a black hole for offense and any kind of success, so you don't want to touch that. Um, But just looking at Corey Perry in a vacuum away from his team for a sec – I like that he got four shots in his return. And Elon, I share your hope that Perry does wind up on the top power play unit. Honestly, why wouldn't he? Nick Ritchie, who's there now, has four power play points in 37 games. So he's not really making case that he really belongs there. Elon, I have a question for you. Can you guess the Ducks' top power play producer so far this year with a meager seven power play points? Okay, well, I guess Getzlaff would be the obvious answer, so I won't say him. How about, I guess, Adam Henrique? Oh, wow, you did it. Adam Henrique leads the Ducks with seven power play points. Then uh, you've got Jacob Sulferberg, Hampus Lindholm, and Ricardo Raquel tied for second with six power play points. Then you have Getzlaff, third on the team with five power play points. Like if Corey Perry has a few good games, he could conceivably lead the Ducks in power play points before very long. So what's to lose in trying Corey Perry on the top unit? It's not like the Ducks can spread out talent amongst two units. So why wouldn't they load up the top one, close their eyes, hope for the best. Now, I admit that I am more hopeful on Corey Perry than most. And one indicator of that is that I bid $7 uh, to add him to my cup full team when there were zero other bids. And that represented a quarter of my remaining fab budget. So um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm being unreasonably hopeful. I, I don't know if him being on Anaheim scared everyone off. Or maybe it was the fact that we've seen a very steady decline from Corey Perry for the last five years at least. And now he's 33 years old. That's not when we expect a player to save themselves and still say that they've got a chance to impress again after two straight years of 
barely 55 point production. But as I've said before, uh, and you just mentioned, Elon, I'm, I'm intrigued by the physical angle of, of Corey Perry returning from this injury that he's been playing through for seven years or whatever. And we'll see what he can do with his new body. I think 55 points is a very reasonable expectation for Corey Perry. He was on that 56, 57 point pace last year, as you mentioned, and he only had 11 power play points, which is second power play unit production. So even if he stays on the second unit, well, I mean, Anaheim would have to fix their power play to some extent, but he could still be on a 55 point pace. Look, it's it. the bottom line is it's hard to find 55 point players off your waiver wire this time of year. So I think go for Perry. Go for the 55 points, and it's gravy if his body allows him to do more than that uh, and and pop in a few extra points with this new and improved knee or whatever it was. Uh, so I am I'm I'm optimistic on Corey Perry, although the Ducks really do stink. That's the <laughs> counterpoint. Yeah, take a chance, take a chance on him. Take it. Okay, I'm, I'm probably not going to do a whole parody song about uh, take a chance on Corey Perry, but okay. Uh, also on the Ducks. Oh, by the way, I will say that they play Monday, Tuesday next week as well. So you can always try him for a couple days. And then you can cut bait right away if you're like, oh, this was terrible advice. You screwed me. I had two bad games. Uh, you'll see. Uh, John Gibson, by the way, just ruined a lot of people's weeks yesterday with these six goals against in the first period before finally mercifully getting pulled. Like, uh, what do we do at this point if you own John Gibson? Is it time to sell him while he still has a decent overall save percentage due to his strong start? Like, he's still at 916, which is really good, especially good. Like, you would think for a lot of goalies, you'd let in six goals in, in one period. That's going to really tank your save percentage, even at this point in the year. But yeah, John Gibson's still looking good overall. Plus, he was bad in his previous game. Like, or do we expect him and the Ducks to figure things out moving forward at some point? Like, the crazy thing to me is that I feel like this Ducks team looks decent on paper. Like, I thought that this was going to be a team that was going to maybe fight to make the playoffs this year. Obviously, that is not what's happening. I don't get how they've been so bad. And yeah, I'm curious to know what you think about John Gibson. Like, is he someone that if you have him, do you sell? If you don't have him, do you try to buy? Or is it just like, you know, the option I had with Corey Perry, where just stay away. You don't want to be near this guy. If you could sell him, like, go ahead and do it. So first, I disagree that Anaheim could have contended for a playoff spot this year. They look very thin on paper. And I didn't expect a whole lot from them this year, but uh, like definitely didn't see this huge disaster coming. Um, and if you're looking at how valuable John Gibson is or really any Anaheim player going forward, I really am not expecting a whole lot to be figured out in, in Anaheim between now and the end of the season. I'm quickly losing faith or I already had lost faith, but I, my faith continues to decline in Anaheim's front office after the vote of confidence they gave Randy Carlisle not too long ago. And also their weird trades lately, like what they shipped off Andrew Cogliano to shake things up and got Devin Shore back. Uh, what, what are you gaining from that deal? Anyway, if your league counts saves only or if goals saved well, above so average. No pers- league counts saves only. <laughs> Well, this is it. Or or if you count goals saved above average per 60 minutes, but your league also won't definitely count. Um, those are the only two scenarios in which you would want John Gibson on your team. Otherwise, it's really the same story that we've been saying for a, a good chunk of the season now, which is that owning John Gibson is a, a, a fool's errand. Like even on a good night, Gibson can still give up four goals and take a loss. And he's not going to get a whole lot of run support. If I had any faith in Anaheim, I would be like, this would be for the third time this season. I would be hoping that uh, by the time you hear this, Randy Carlisle would no longer have a job. But the fact that he has survived 24 hours after that nine to three embarrassment means that I am not optimistic that that will actually happen. 
Man, Brad, this I think is a hot take. You definitely have not been saying all year that John Gibson is like someone people should stay away from. This is a new thing that you're saying for sure. A lot of people were talking about John Gibson as a potential Vesna no, candidate so, a little while ago. I'm saying he is amazing, though. He is probably one of like I, I I don't have my charts right in front of me now, but he does have amongst, if not the best goal saved above average for 60 minutes. Like he is doing incredible work given the the quantity and quality of shots that he's facing. I'm just saying as a fantasy own, that's not very helpful because he can have an above 900 save percentage and help you there uh, like consistently. 900 is a low mark. But usually if you give up three or four goals, you're going to have a rotten save percentage. He sees enough pucks that he's not necessarily in control of how many goals he gives up. Like he can have a great save percentage, but his goals against average won't help you. He's not going to pick up a lot of wins. Okay. Uh, I guess I feel like I will disagree. I don't know. I just want to play devil's advocate. Like I kind of feel like the ducks have nowhere to go, but uh, if I know you're thinking it's just going to be terrible for Gibson all the way through, I guess you're telling people that they should trade him if they could get anything for him at this point. Uh, I don't know. Like you said, like you thought they look thin, like going into the season and even looking at them now, I'm seeing a strong looking decor, Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Brandon Montour, Josh Manson. That looks like a really nice top four defenseman. They've got Getzlaff, Perry, Raquel. Then they've got Henrique and I guess uh, Jacob Silverberg. Obviously it hurts that Andre Kasha is injured. He's a guy who I was expecting to make an impact this year, but like, I feel like they have an okay looking top six. They have decent looking defense. They have like you say, one of the best goalies. Like, why can't this team turn it around? And also, it's not as if they've been bad all season long. Like, they had a stretch early on where uh, they were winning some games, right? They had a, uh, wasn't like a five or six game winning streak at one point uh, back in December. Yeah, I'm seeing here a five game winning streak and then they lost a game. Then they won another four games in a row. So it's not as if this team has been unable to win. They're currently in a slump. And I'm going to tell people the opposite advice. Actually, my advice would be to buy low on John Gibson if you can right now. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him turn it around. Like, Brian, you say you've lost faith in Anaheim. But to be honest, you said that you lost faith in Philadelphia, like, last month. Uh, you said you lost faith in Arizona. So you you lose faith, and then these teams bounce back. So if anything, that's, a sign, say... that's a sign that Anaheim's going to do better. I didn't say I lost faith in Arizona. Yeah, you did. You were like, oh, I don't believe in this team, even if they're winning. Or like before when they were doing badly, like, don't go near them because this team sucks. Like, I don't have faith in them. But anyways, I don't remember them. I know for sure you said Philly. For sure you said Philly, you lost faith. For sure that I wasn't sure they were going to figure things out. And uh, I mean, that was partially before they got a new coach and they got it. Like, it seems like I'm optimistic in Philadelphia. Okay. It's, it's nice. They got a new coach. If if Anaheim, honestly, I think coaching is the biggest problem there right now. So if they find a new coach instead of Randy Carlisle, I'm optimistic. But he's not a guy known to be able to adapt to the league. And Anaheim is putting up an ins- uh, giving up an insane amount of shots night in, night out. So why would I expect things to get a whole lot better? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's just my gut feeling. I don't, I don't mean to like you know say anything bad about you. Just throwing it out there that I, I want to put my stake, my flag in the in the sand whatever people do with flags and say that I think that Anaheim, like they can't get worse. I don't know. I feel like now would be a dumb time to trade John Gibson, unless you really think he's just going to be terrible and people are buying him for his name. Okay, Brian, before we move on to some more injuries and outjuries, because again, this was an outjury talk about Corey Perry. Let's take a second to thank a sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. There's a lot of people who might not be listening live because they're over in Atlanta watching a football show. But I want to recommend to you that if you happen to go to Atlanta, why not do some other things while you're there? And if you want to do that, you might want to get tickets to a show or a movie or whatever. 
I guess you don't really buy tickets to a movie on SeatGeek. What am I doing, Brian? I just want to say that SeatGeek is the place to go to get yourself tickets to anything, okay? Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites, varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. They pull millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. Honestly, Brian, I love just taking out my phone, browsing through the SeatGeek app. You get these prices. You can sort the prices by value to see you know, not necessarily the cheapest, but what's like a good value, like the price they're paying versus what it normally goes for. You could also get a sense of what the actual price will be, which I really like, because when you get to check out, there's no hidden fees that jump out at you as you're browsing through the SeatGeek app, seeing what you want to do. You're going to see what the actual price is. If you're in Atlanta right now, Brian, I've been playing this game with you recently of telling you some shows that you potentially go buy tickets to on SeatGeek. What do you think would be more expensive if you wanted to see Fleetwood Mac or if you wanted to say, see Pink uh, with guest artist Julia Michaels, who I don't know who that is, but I definitely know who Pink is. She sings the song about having issues. That Julia Michaels does? Yeah. How does it go? Uh, good try. Okay. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> uh, well, last week you fooled me with the Rolling Stones versus Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande appealing to the younger demographic had the, oh, you're already smirking. I feel like you're, you're very excited that I've fallen into your trap. No. Ariana Grande with the younger demographic uh, had the higher price ticket. So I'm just going to, I'm going to go with that. See if that's a pattern. I'm saying it would cost more to see pink. First of all, Pink is like not exactly going for the younger demographic like Ariana Grande is. I like Pink's been around a long time. And actually, you're wrong. It's it's Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> 315 to see Fleetwood Mac. Only 158 to go see Pink. And of course, a lot of cheaper tickets to other things, including <laughs> who's the closest hockey team to Atlanta, by the way? The Thrashers. Get... Oh, yeah. Wait. <laughs> you got me. Okay. Anyway, check it out. Oh, and by the way, if you think the price is like pretty good, but not... wait, what are you whispering now in the middle of my promo? Well, I was wondering if it's, it is a good question. I don't know. I, I was guessing the Hurricanes, the closest hockey team geographically to Atlanta. Oh, okay. Let us know in the chat room here so that we can say it on the show. We'll give you credit. Brian, if you think the prices are like really good, but just maybe like $10 too high just for right now, isn't there a way that people could get even more off their ticket? Funny you should ask because there is a way people can get uh, any more off their ticket. If it's your very first SeatGeek purchase, you can save $10 off. With the promo code KEEPING, that's promo code KEEPING to save $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the app or head over to the website at SeatGeek.com and make your first purchase with the promo code KEEPING to save $10 off your first purchase. And the answer is Nashville. That's what K-Towny, big Kevin Hayes fan, K-Towny City in the chat room is saying Nashville. So there you go. Go but see that's very Nashville close. I think, I think Carolina's second closest. All right. Well... How about we could all sit on that, think about it. Let's talk about our next injuries and outries. So actually, I wanted to take a sidetrack from that because we were talking about Anaheim. And I want to talk about the other side of that route where uh, in Winnipeg, we're still waiting for Dustin Bufflin and Nikolai Ehlers to return. Obviously, they weren't missing them in this game against the Ducks. I'd imagine guys like Jacob Truba and Jack Roslovich would be happy for Ehlers and Bufflin to take their time and not come back so soon because both of them are doing really well. Truba had two assists yesterday for the second straight game. Roslovich scored three power play goals. Like I said, that second unit with Little, Perot, Myers, Truba was humming. Of course, Patrick Laine, 
unfortunately, was only able to get in on the fun to the tune of one assist out of nine goals. And it was a power play assist on one of Roslovich's power play goals. And Lanning's not even on the same power play. And it was a second assist. I didn't go and check, but I'd imagine maybe he like passed it to someone and then went off the ice. Like, I don't even know if Lanning contributed to that goal. That Maybe he did. But yeah, his slump continues. He also he had one shot yesterday as well. So I, I don't know. Like, I'd, I'm not loving this Patrick Lanning thing. Okay, here's my two questions. First of all, are you rushing to add Roslovich? after this big game or would you just be buying past production especially with Nikolai Ehlers coming back any day which should bump Roslovich to the bottom six he'll still be on that second power play I assume but yeah bottom six and also Brian we talked about this a bit on the patron cast that we did last week but what's your current strategy with Patrick Laine as a fan as the fantasy trade deadline approaches are you telling people to buy low or to steer clear and maybe try to sell if you have him first off Elon I can't let you go any further you're hemonitching Roslovich's name it's Hemonik and Roslovich I like oh, that you, why did you say why did you wait until I finished the whole thing? I, you were on a roll. I didn't want to get in the way, but thanks no, to our friends. <laughs> you what? just wanted to you just wanted to make me look bad because I made you look <laughs> bad when I said the thing about Philly. I wanted that gotcha moment. Anyway, Roslovic, thanks to uh, our friends over at nhlnames.com. I don't know if it's a mutual friendship. I, I, they're my friend for having such a great resource to pronounce player names. Um Roslovic Remember that he'd been really quiet before finally putting up these points. He seemed like a tantalizing ad once Ehlers went out. Uh, he had a lot of preseason buzz, and he was now going to get to play with Liney in the Jets' top six. But then in that spot, Roslovic rarely pointed and also rarely even registered a shot on goal in his first several games in Ehlers' second-line spot. And I really don't expect Roslovic to continue to score so regularly from the second power play unit. Like, how often is a second power play unit, even on the ice, often enough to register three goals as an entire unit, let alone just one guy on that unit scoring three with the man advantage? So look, It was a great game for Jack Roslovic, and I guess you could maybe try and latch on to a narrative that says maybe this is a confidence-building moment where he starts playing with some mojo and scoring goals or whatever. Uh, But the guy had 38 shots in 50 games heading into Saturday night where he finally took five shots. So I'm going to repeat that. 38 shots in 50 games. I don't have those numbers reversed. That's less than a shot per game. So let's see how much Roslovic's shooting habits really change and that's why I'm not rushing to add him I'll keep a watchful eye for the moment he seemed like a good stream in that spot but I am not really excited to own Jack Roslovic yeah I thought for sure you were just gonna say like no pass like I'm surprised you even dug too deep into it especially with Nikolai Ehlers coming back like come on like this is the typical a guy has a big game his percent ownership surges people add him think he's gonna keep it up and then he doesn't and he'll get dropped in a week so don't be that guy don't add Jack Roslovic especially if you could get Derek Broussard who I'm more into right now and then you wanted to know about, about Patrick Liney, and dear God, I have no idea what to do or say about Patrick Liney at this point. The stymieing part about him is that if I were looking at Liney's underlying numbers, I wouldn't really be thinking so much as a miss. I mean, he's still on pace for 40 goals, but the rest of his game is in shambles, it seems. This slump has earned Liney a lot of scrutiny, and that's really put the spotlight on how great a shooter he is, but how deficient he is at just about every other aspect of his game. In fantasy, though, we just care that Liney is amazing at getting high-danger shots off. We also care in fantasy that none of them, or not as many of them that, as we want, seem to be going in, and that Liney's deficiencies are also hurting his ice time and the offensive opportunities that he's getting. So I think if I don't own Patrick Liney, 
I would still buy low on him. He's like the Gostas bear of forwards for this year where you don't want to give up much to take on the risk. Like he seems like a great buy low opportunity, but you don't want to take on, it, it feels like there's a whole lot of risks there, but at the same time, his current owner probably isn't going to want to sell him for whatever pittance you're willing to offer to take on that risk. So it, it's a really tricky spot. If you're looking at acquiring Patrick Liney, it seems silly. If you're in a league that values goals and weights them heavily, maybe this is a moment where you can take advantage and add a 40 goal scorer to your team. Who's probably going to do better than his current point pace would suggest. Um, but outside of that, uh, Hmm. Yeah, outside of like a goals-heavy league. I don't know. Would you want to add Patrick Liney right now, Elon? Like, no, not really. Like, I mean, obviously it depends what price I'm paying. If I had on my roster, I wouldn't be dropping him. Like, I'd love him for the upside of the goals. Like, he's one of the... Ba- I haven't lost many matchups in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League this year, but one of the matchups that I did lose was because Patrick Liney scored five goals in one game and like two goals in the next game and it killed me and I hated my life. Uh, so I'd love to do that to someone else in the fantasy playoffs. But yeah, I think that I would probably not pay a lot for him just because it seems like a risk. And I'd rather play it safe. We talked about this on the Patreon cast, right? Like different sort of philosophical strategies when you're playing fantasy. And I feel like if it's almost like if I'm doing badly, then maybe I, and you know, I don't think my team has a chance to win. I'll take a shot on line A and maybe he'll catch fire and take me over the top or like, you know, give me some special sauce that my team doesn't have. If I'm doing well, I don't see why I'm going to like sell someone who's been doing well for me to get Patrick Line to potentially sink me when my team is doing just fine without him. So that's kind of the way I'm looking at it right now. Huge upside, but I'm going to be a little risk averse, especially if I'm doing well, which of course, Brian, I am in all my leagues. So I actually think if you're doing so well that you can sing about it, that maybe you're in a great position to take a chance on Patrick Liney. You can afford <laughs> to add him, let him suck for a few weeks, and then whatever. Okay, like maybe but Brian, we're not talking a... about just adding him out of free agency. I have to trade. No, I mean, tra- no, I mean trading for him. So what, should I offer Paul Stasny, who's getting me points every game, to get Patrick Liney? Then all of a sudden, boom, I just lost someone who's getting me points every game. Like, I, mean, I mean, it doesn't sound terrible. Well, okay. So I don't know. We obviously think differently. That's my philosophical ideas. If I'm winning, I don't want to rock the boat with a trade that I could win or I could lose. Like, you know, like sometimes you have to make a trade like that. I'm still obviously open to making trades to improve my team, but I'm not taking on risk when already my team is doing well and I see them as potentially going to take me to a championship. Matthew is here in the chat room. Hello, Matthew. Okay, Brian, let's move on. So Bufflin hasn't returned yet for the Jets, but it has been nice to see a couple of other defensemen who we were worried about potentially being gone a while both of them back in Oliver ekman Larson and the aforementioned Shane gosses both back with their respective teams after the All-Star break. So that was nice to see. Both of these two teams have something else in common, and I mentioned it earlier in the episode. These are two teams that I actually called a couple weeks ago to have stronger second halves than their first halves. And I'm talking, of course, about the Philadelphia Flyers and the Arizona Coyotes. Brian, you know this is true. I called it like three weeks ago now. I said, I think both of these teams are going to do something in the second half. So far, looking pretty, pretty good. I think I can see you're getting really annoyed. So maybe I will not emphasize the fact that also these are two teams that you've said in the past that you disagree that they will do well. Uh, The Coyotes continue to impress, at least me, yesterday. They took the Sharks to overtime before Brent Burns put away the game-winning goal in overtime. Darcy Kemper had another solid game. He stopped 32 of 35. And really, like, I feel pretty strongly that, at least in fantasy, these, like, three-on-three overtime goals against shouldn't count against a goalie's save percentage. Like, come on, it's like the all-star game. Did you watch that? crap like you know goals are going in all the time it's the same thing three on three like Darcy Kemper had an amazing game he doesn't deserve the mediocre looking 914 save percentage at the end in my opinion he stopped over 30 shots only letting a couple goals 
before Brent Burns probably had this like amazing chance to score on him in overtime. Anyway, no points for Oliver ekman Larson in his return, but Connor Garland scored another goal, bringing him to 10 goals in 24 games, which is a 34-point pace. So look at this guy, Connor Garland. Brian, are you still feeling the same way about Kemper and the Coyotes as you have been before? Are you annoyed that I keep bringing them up? 34 goal pace, by the way. You said point pace. So way to go, Connor Garland. Elon, I just don't know what it takes to impress you. Like, do you know what Carolina, uh, Arizona's record is in their last five games? What is it? A lot, well, they, right? Mostly they've won, wins? They've won twice. And they lost two in overtime to really good teams, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they're doing really well. Like, you're, I'm not expecting them to beat, like, the Sharks and whatever. It, like, you know, like I mean, these are tough teams, but they're clearly showing themselves to be a good team that could keep up with the best teams in the league and wait for them to get some easier competition. I think they're going to continue to do well. And plus, by the way, a loss, Brian, in today's NHL is still worth a point if you go to overtime. Did you know that? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> this changes everything. Um, what do I want to say? No, I, you can, Elon, you can tell me all about... Uh, how you believed in Arizona when I didn't. And again, like, I, I feel like anytime we take not identical positions to something, you push me all the way on like the opposite side when I might just be like a couple steps over. All I said was, I, I don't have the, the faith that you do that Arizona can be like a sure shot player cont- playoff contender, but you can rub it in my face every episode if they succeed in doing that. As to your point on, uh, overtime and save percentage. I agree. Three versus three uh, is very unfair to a goalie. And that's why you can look at five on five save percentage to see how well a goalie is playing. It'll leave out those weird circumstances where, well, you can't really judge a goalie's ability on because it's such a small sample and it's a weird sample. It's not how they play most of their minutes. Uh, speaking of five on five save percentage, Darcy Kemper playing below his expected five-on-five save percentage, still getting by on what's been an unsustainable short-handed save percentage. Uh, Kemper's five-on-five goal saved above average per 60 minutes remains a fair bit below league average. I also uh, guess this means that we should give Arizona credit for succeeding in spite of that. But I think, I know you want to be excited about Darcy Kemper, Elon, but it would be a stretch to say he's been anything above serviceable at five-on-five this year. Okay, fair enough. So we'll wait and see. Like, I mean... I just like, I don't know, for some reason I like Arizona. Like, I liked them last year when they sort of came on strong at the end of the year, and I'd love to see it happen again. But we'll see. And I'm not, I definitely didn't mean to say that they're a sure-shot playoff contender, but they are somewhat in the race. It would be nice if they could get some bounces in overtime. Okay, and then over on Philly, Shane Gossespierre not only returned, but he took his power play one spot back yesterday versus the Oilers after he missed a couple games. And before that, if you remember, he was bumped by a fifth forward for the top power play for three games. Gossespierre wasn't on the top power play, but he was back there yesterday. He picked up an assist in the contest. And Philly won their seventh game in a row, sixth win in a row for Carter Hart, by the way, who stopped 40 of 44. This guy, this kid has been fantastic. Uh, definitely grab him in your keeper leagues if you can. Well, obviously you can't grab him. But like, I, I really high on Carter Hart moving forward and maybe even for this year. Akashane Gossesbeher, for this year, Brian, should we wipe the slate clean and project Gossesbeher to end the season the way we were projecting him to go the whole way through? Or has he hurt us too much to forgive him that easily? Like he's you know, top power play on a team that's doing well now. So this is the Shane Gosses pair we were hoping for when we drafted him, right? Yeah, and it's a good power play in Philadelphia when it's clicking. So I would love to give Gosses Bear a clean slate. And the power play is really where he's going to have to get those points back. He has just nine power play points through 49 games. And this is a guy who had 33 power play points last season. Look, the power play has not been great with Gosses Bear on it. And I don't know that it's been his fault, um, but the... 
goals for per 60 minutes on the power play um, for Shane Gostis Bear. And that's an on ice stat. So it doesn't refer just to his play, it refers to the whole unit. It's essentially half of what it was last season. Um, Gostis Bear's five on five production still is down, but not as much as his power play production. There's no reason that I, he can't put up a 45, 50 point pace the rest of the way um, with Philly, with Philly looking like they're getting their business together. Finally, maybe there's hope for Gostas bear yet. Um, I already dealt him in the one league in which I owned him, but I got Bufflin back in the return. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. But if Gostas bear is somehow cut loose in your format, then, uh, then yeah, give him a chance. Yeah, def- oh yeah, he should not be a free agent in any league at this point, for sure. Definitely grab him. Another disappointing player that looks to have bright roads ahead is Travis Konechny, right? He was disappointing a, a lot of owners, and he was dropped in a lot of leagues, but he scored a power play goal yesterday. He's got now six points in his last five games. He's been playing with Claude Giroux pretty much all season. He's been playing with Giroux and JVR for a while now, and it seems to finally be clicking just like everything else on this team. If Travis Konechny was dropped amidst his disappointing first half of the season. Is now the time to jump back on board? Like, don't forget, he actually was slow at the start of last season also. Then he ended with 32 points in his final 40 games. So maybe he can do that again? Maybe. Wouldn't that be nice? The thing about Konechny is that he's still talented. He's still getting great deployment. uh, But... He's also like appearances were deceiving for the first half of the year, just like Gosses Bear. He wasn't as bad as he looked because of the team wide issues that were happening. And right now, you've got a rising tide in Philadelphia, and that's lifting all ships here. And I think Konechny's ship is one of those. Uh, he would be a great reclamation project for most fantasy teams since he's essentially held top line deployment through thick and thin this year. He also puts up two and a half shots per game on average. So even if the points don't, keep quite coming the way they've been you'll at least have a couple shots on net to show for his efforts yeah and then for deeper leagues if guys like Gosses Behar and Travis Konechny are nowhere near your free agent list how about we give some love to Oscar Lindblom who had a power play assist yesterday on Konechny's power play goal and that brought Lindblom to six points in his last six games and by the way shout out to patron Ryan M who smartly streamed him in at the start of the week so look at you how did you know very smart uh so Lindblom spent some time with Voracek and Couturier yesterday in a game where it looks like the lines are being shaken around a bit so who knows how things will look for Philly's next game but still seems like uh, Lindenblom could be a sneaky ad for the second half of the season maybe a la Travis Konechny circa 2017-18 that's very kind and hopeful of you we've actually speculated before that Lindblom could be an interesting depth ad but I think that's all he is I don't see Lindblom as having the same ceiling as other options like Nolan Patrick and Travis Konechny um, and his floor Lindblom's floor is also a fair bit lower And keep in mind, he hasn't seen great deployment through the year. He's seen below 10 minutes of ice several times this year. But I do like that Lindblom has now registered at least three shots in each of his last four games. And if he continues that, that would be a new trick for him because Lindblom has barely averaged one shot per game uh, the rest of the year until now. So that's why I think he's probably still best reserved for streams in deeper leagues. But he and Nolan Patrick, I feel like our flyers, if those guys are, if, if the flyers are playing and you need to stream someone in, uh, those are generally okay guys to take a run with. Yeah, Nolan Patrick has also been good lately. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see how things look for Philly. We also still have this whole Brian Elliott situation. At some point, he's a 
apparently going to return. They keep saying in two weeks, and then in two weeks, they'll say it's going to be another two weeks. Uh, Anthony Stolarz actually had a shutout in his one game he played recently, so they're going to have to figure something out once they've got those three goalies healthy, if that even ever happens. Brian, actually, I wonder if I should have started the show with this next thing. Yesterday, something finally happened that we've been speculating about and wondering about for like two months now. But finally, Riley Smith returned to the Vegas Golden Knights, and so they had all of their expected top six from the start of the season, so we finally got to see what they're going to do with Brandon Peary along with the original top six in the picture and Brian actually I want to give us a bit of a pat on the back if you recall we were chatting about Peary with Ryan Bolta three shows ago and we were wondering who's going to get bumped from the top six and I recall one of us I don't remember who but it was one of us one of the smart people in that group of three suggested that maybe they'll go with more of a top nine and maybe not just like limit it to top six and one person gets bumped and it seems actually that's what they did at least yesterday the lines for Vegas were they brought Valentin Zikov to play on the top line with Marcia So and William Carlson. Then, of course, the second line. But actually, I want to just call this the top line at this point because they've been so good. But like Sassany, Pacioretty, and Tuck, they, of course, stayed together. And then Riley Smith played on a line with Brandon Peary and Cody Eakin. And though, of course, like uh, the Vegas Golden Knights lost 3-1 to one to the Panthers. So who knows if this gets shaken up again for the game versus Tampa on Tuesday. But Brian, all of a sudden, we have brand new lines. We have a situation where Brandon Peary is still in a somewhat relevant offensive situation like playing with riley smith that should be good i'd love to get your take on what you're thinking about like all of these vegas golden knight forwards in fact i want to use my once a show option where i get to ask brian to rank a team's forwards i know it's a hard question if you want i'll give you a quick like rundown of all of the options here i'd love to get your take on how you'd rank the vegas forwards for their fantasy value moving forward for the rest of the season so here are our options okay we've got John, oh, before I before I lay it, is that okay with you? Yeah, let's okay. do it. Okay, I know it used to be that I would ask this question like way too often in a show about every team, and you kind of roll your eyes. But I feel like now I've I've been done. I'm doing pretty well, right? This whole season, only once per episode max. So, okay, bear with me. Here we go. Here are our options for ranking all of the Vegas Golden Knights forwards. I'd love also for our listeners to play along at home. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know how you would rank these guys. But okay, we've got Jonathan Marsh. So currently on a three game pointless streak pacing for only 53 points after putting up 75 points in 77 games last season. So he's really slowed down from last year. Is he a buy low guy or is this like maybe expected regression? Like, don't forget, like Jonathan Marshall was only a 56 point pace guy the year before with Florida. So last year, you know, we were all convinced that Marshall was a superstar. Maybe we were wrong. I don't know. Okay. Then you've got William Carlson. He's also on a four game pointless streak. He's pacing for 49 points. Hasn't been his year for sure. Uh, You've got Paul Stasny. Another assist yesterday, extending his point streak to seven games. He's got 20 points in his last 20 games. He started the season with four pointless games, and since then, 20 points in 20 games. Unbelievable. Max Pacioretty scored yesterday. He's got four goals in his last five games, 14 points in his last 17 over the past couple of months. Pacioretty, Stasny, and Alex Tuck have all been amazing. So Alex Tuck currently on a two-game pointless streak. It's actually only his fourth two-game pointless streak of the season, and he's never reached three games in a row without getting a point. So we'll have to see what happens in Vegas' next game. Uh, Tuck has 40 points in 46 games on the season overall. That's a 71-point pace. Who could have projected that? Then you've got Riley Smith, who was pointless in two games since he returned from his injury. He was also pointless in three games before that. So that's five straight games without a point for Riley Smith. Two points in his last nine games. He's on a 47-point pace on the season, similar to William Carlson. Very disappointing. Brandon Peary, pointless in five games. 
no shots yesterday. So he's obviously completely fallen off after that amazing start to his career with Vegas. And then you've got guys like Zikov and Cody Eakin who are getting to play with some guys who you expect to be good. But you know, so whatever, we don't have to count them. But of the guys I mentioned, Marshall, Carlson, Stasny, Pacioretty, Tuck, Riley Smith, Brandon Peary. How are you ranking these guys in terms of fantasy value for the rest of this season? Good luck, Brian. Thanks. So I'll start off with March so, and just to talk about him a little bit in depth. I, anytime we talk about March so, I need to mention how crazy his shot pace is. March so already has 201 shots, which would have been good for 85th in the entire NHL last season. And this is after only 54 games played. Marjusso ranks fourth in the league in shots on goal behind only Nate McKinnon, Patrick Kane, and Tyler Sagan so far this year. So Marjusso, if he's available in your league, he looks very much like a buy low option to me. We talked about how his drop in points is linked to William Carlson's struggle so far this year. But even with a struggling Carlson, I think Marjusso could get into mid-60s if things were going better for him personally, which they haven't been, but they could. And Elon, you said like maybe he'll just go back to his mid 50 point ways in Florida. His deployment in Vegas is completely different. In fact, his deployment in Vegas, they're leaning on him even more this year than they were last year. So uh, I still am a big believer in Marshall. So, and that's why I rank him first amongst all Vegas forwards. Then uh, I have to continue doubling down on my bet with Daniel Negreanu and say I'm going to go Max Pacioretty next, then Alex Tuck. And then Paul Stasny, then Riley Smith, then Brandon Peary. That would be my my ranking. And then I, the honorable mention for the list, if I was going to pick a, a guy outside of those six, would be Valentin Zikov. He had three shots in his in the last game with Vegas in a season high seventeen and a half minutes. Uh, this is Zikov's third team so far this season, and the seventeen and a half minutes he saw is five minutes more than Zikoff had seen in any of his other games with Carolina or Edmonton. In fact, with those teams, Zikoff had surpassed 12 minutes of ice in one night just once in 18 games. So coming to Vegas seems like a good thing. He was playing even fewer than 10 minutes nine times before he came to Vegas. So let's see if Vegas continues wanting to deploy him this way and what he can do with that deployment if he does continue to get to play with Carlson and Marcheseau on the top line. Uh, I like his upside. Like, I like him to, to take a swing on. You know, the same way that when he's, I don't know if Nail Yakupov is like a fair comparison at all, but remember when he was bounced out of Edmonton, we saw him in St. Louis, we saw him in Colorado, and it's like, maybe, just maybe, if he gets the chance, he can make the most of it. Uh, that's what interests me or intrigues me about Zikov. Uh, and that's why, like, if I'm choosing between him and Cody Eakin, I prefer him just like, just like the upside a little more Zikov. I feel like the early part of his career, he's kind of like a young Brandon Peary, except minus scoring goals in the few opportunities that he does get. Wait, so how is he like Brandon Peary? <laughs> well, just that he's, he can't see, like he has this unspoken or unrealized potential that seems to follow him from place to place but no team wants to commit to him either like to have him on their team and when he is on their team no team seems to want to give him the opportunity and Vegas seems like the first place that's really doing that for him wow okay so I would say that like I also don't want to commit to Valentin Zikov for my fantasy team and definitely if you're going to listen to Brian's advice make sure he's even still skating on that Marcheseau line before you add him like like I said Vegas lost their last game obviously Marcheseau and 
Carlson and Smith are all still cold. So maybe they shake it up. Maybe they try to get that band back together again now that Riley Smith is back and see how that goes. So I, I actually really don't think it's going to last. So I would say to ignore everything Brian said about Valentin Zikov. But he is right that it is an intriguing spot for him if he does stay there. Uh, as, as for your rankings, yeah, I don't know, Brian. It's very hard for me to recommend Jonathan Marshall, so who's doing nothing. I know you're saying he's taking a lot of shots, and that's the whole thing with our podcast, right? We're looking at the underlying numbers. But, man, that line, Pacioretty, Tuck, and Stasny are looking so, so good. It would be really hard for me to trade, like, Paul Stasny right now for Jonathan Marshall. So, uh, so maybe I would ch- – it's, it's hard. You're the one who I'm asking to do the rankings. I don't have to do them myself, so I'll just leave it at that. But I think I might actually have Stasny ahead of Tuck, and I don't know. I might bump Marshall so all the way down to fourth behind all the three guys in that top line, but maybe people will yell at me if I do that. But I just have a feeling like this line's going to keep on going. They're so good. They're the top line. Did you see where you'd have Pacioretty? Like maybe first, <laughs> I guess. Pacioretty, wow. Stasny, Tuck, Marcheseau. But I probably wouldn't. Like I I really do like Jonathan Marcheseau also, and I love the fact that he's taking all these shots like you said. So maybe it's bad luck. At the same time, if he's playing with William Carlson, who we were saying going into the year wasn't as good as people thought, and if he's going to be playing with like Valentin Zikov, like I don't know, like I just don't think yeah. that Marcheseau is getting the line mates as opposed to Stasny, Tuck, Pacioretty. They really have great chemistry together. They're going to stick together, and they're just rolling so well. How could you rank Marcheseau ahead of those guys? Yeah, that, that's a good point, Elon. That's a big load to shoulder. Although he was playing with Willem Carlson last year, who was just, you know, had a, had a horseshoe up his butt and Riley Smith. So uh, Carlson with a horseshoe plus Riley Smith is better than Carlson with no horseshoe and Valentin Zikov. So I'm with you there. Uh, also, an interesting point being made in the chat by Chris. Uh, who says uh, this is unverified. So you'll have to check your own pools playoff schedule. But he says Vegas has one of the worst playoff schedules. Uh, so keep that in mind if you're looking on, into buying low on any of these Vegas guys. Oh, well, I have Stasny and Nate Schmidt and Colin Miller on my couple team. So uh, I will definitely look into that. That's like, But I feel like those two defensemen, maybe they could be streamed up. Anyways, you guys don't care about that. Let's go to our next, what are we doing? Outjuries, right? Kevin Hayes is back for the Rangers. He returned on Tuesday. He's gotten right back to where he left off. He had two assists versus the Devils on Thursday. Power play goal versus Tampa yesterday. He played on the second line with Buchnevich and Jesper Fast yesterday. And Hayes was on the top power play with the scorching duo of Zibanejad and Zuccarello, as well as the doing very very well, Chris Kider and Kevin Shattenkirk, who somehow is missing out on pointing on like all of these power play goals he's on the ice for. Like the Rangers keep scoring power play goals. And I added uh, Kevin Shattenkirk in a couple of my leagues because I like his schedule coming up. He actually has a stream gummy next week. The Rangers play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. That is a term coined by Dave Benton from Stream Scheme. The stream gummy, it's the best streaming schedule you can get. The Rangers have it. And so I added Shattenkirk and I couldn't believe all these power play goals kept on coming in. I'm getting the notifications on my watch and Shattenkirk not getting in on any of them. But I think that might change next week. Anyway, okay, we're talking about Kevin Hayes. We're into him, right? And like everyone on this top power play is definitely worth owning on the Rangers at this point, right? Like, like I said, they have a great schedule. If you can get any of these guys, you got to jump all over it, right? Totally, totally. I, I think, uh, I don't know, were you suggesting that Kevin Hayes might not keep up his pace? Well, I'm just asking, like, we still like him. We think that he's really good. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And as K Towny City in the chat knows, Kevin Hayes can be relied upon this year, the way he's going. Also, uh, I wanted to get excited about Pavel Buchnevich, who had a season-high 21 minutes and 10 seconds of ice on Saturday night. What did you do with it, Elon? One shot, one hit. No points. Right. Actually, the one guy I'm kind of... I didn't have this on book here, but just curious if you could just give me a quick take. Matt Zuccarello, you seem to be cool on. Like, I see people... 
uh, asking in the Facebook group, you know, to rank different players. And you always have Zuccarello near the bottom. I asked you if I should add Zuccarello in one league or hold on to Nino Niederreiter. And you suggested I hold Nino Niederreiter. Like Zuccarello keeps getting multiple points every single game. You see this as unsustainable? So I guess the X factor here is Mika Zibanejad, who has just been so good. And Zuccarello's gotten to play with Mika Zibanejad. So uh, that's a good way to pick up some points for Zuccarello. Otherwise, I'd say like with an average, say, 65-point centerman, which is about as good as it's gotten for Zuccarello in past years, he was a 55, 60-point player, like pretty reliably somewhere in that range. And lately, as I think we talked about on last week's episode, Zuccarello is looking more like the 55-point version of himself. But if he's playing on the top line with Mika Zibanejad just going off, I'm a little more into him. Well, I mean, he definitely is there, and he's been there for a long time now. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm, okay. So Brian says he's into Matt Zuccarello, and I kind of regret not picking him up when I had the chance in one of my leagues. Uh, but yeah, Mika's advantage at Holy cow, he had a hat trick and an assist on Thursday, two assists yesterday. He's up to 50 points in 51 games. This dude, he's a sure thing to enter the 70-point club this year, right? Barring injury. And like maybe even do you think he could break 80 points? So... The yeah, I like I love Mika's advantage ad, and we called him earlier in the season when he was just off to an amazing start. We were like, Yeah, 70 points for Mika's advantage ad. This is happening. I didn't know, like, point per game was in the question, but I, I'll be honest, I didn't expect to see him on an 80 point pace at this part of the season. Uh, he's 25 years old now, but it's taken a massive step forward this year. And when that happens, we have to ask ourselves, Are there improvements? like things that we haven't seen in his past career numbers that we're suddenly seeing that might actually stick. And one thing we see happen when a player goes to like good to elite is sometimes we see their IPP take a big jump. And sometimes when we see that, we're like, ah, like he hasn't actually changed as a player. His IPP is going to regress. He's not going to get points on as many goals that are scored while he's on the ice. But Mika Zibanejad has made this jump from top six forward IPP to near elite forward IPP. And I think it might be for real. We're going to need more time to see like the rest of this season for sure. And then probably a chunk of the next one. But I'm optimistic that Mika Zibanejad can be, well, for sure a 70 point player the rest of the way. Point per game is rich. Like I'm not sure if he can quite keep that up but I'll bump it up to 75 point pace the rest of the season. You also need to keep in mind if you're thinking about Zibanejad that the Rangers uh, could very well be sellers and that could hurt Zibanejad's production somewhat, but he's done a lot with not much of a supporting cast so far. So at this point uh, you can't really rule Zibanejad out from doing anything, including hitting a point per game pace the rest of the season. What a hero. I love Mika Zibanejad. The Sens uh, traded him for Derek Broussard, right? They sure did. Some cool. Good good choice. Okay, so uh, one last injury to bring up. Dylan Larkin, another young center, having an amazing season. He's going to miss one to two weeks with a strained oblique. He has 49 points in 52 games. It would have been fun to see who would end up with more points between Dylan Larkin and Mika Zibanejad. Might be hard for Larkin to win now with this, you know, one to two weeks that he's going to miss in this imaginary contest that I just made up. But Brian, is there like anyone that benefits in your mind with Larkin? Now, like usually when a, you know, a player on the top line and top power play gets injured on a team, we talk about, oh, who's going to benefit? fit in the meantime like who's someone that will stream and take over his deployment but you look at the red wings i just don't know like i guess gustav nyquist now becomes that guy that you want to be playing with if you want to get production and gustav nyquist was skating with athanasiu and abdulkader yesterday in the win over the sens also uh, the top power play was nyquist with vanek mantha athanasiu and nicholas cronwall of course much to any my green owner's chagrin 
if any of these guys were available in free agency before, are you like adding them now to stream until Dylan Larkin is back? Like, are you into any of these Red Wings with Larkin injured or is this just bad for everybody? I think it's bad news for everybody. And first, we've been trying to give Dylan Larkin his due all season long, but here's another chance to do it. Larkin ranks fifth in shots on goal so far this year, right behind Jonathan Marshall. So he's having such a great year. Um, Gustav Nyquist, like you say, he's the one that you want to have, like, He's the one you want to have exposure to, right? As Pete Jensen would say. Yeah, well put. Um, and Nyquist has been fantastic all season long and in a way that seems sustainable. Um, the one dry run Nyquist has had in which I actually dropped him in a couple of leagues that I owned him in, that was back in November when he had one assist over six games. And guess who his line mate was or rather wasn't in that stretch? That's Dylan, right. He was- yeah, Dylan Larkin. Yeah, he wasn't skating with his good pal Dylan Larkin. Um, And there's a really marked difference in Nyquist's on-ice numbers with and without Larkin at 5-on-5. 20 fewer shot attempts per 60 minutes, 10 fewer scoring chances per 60 minutes, half as many high-danger chances per 60 minutes, and obviously a lower expected goals rate per 60 minutes. So I'm actually not sure Nyquist is a guy you want more, you want anyone who's exposed to because Dylan Larkin is out. Instead, I think you're hoping that if you own Nyquist, that he can scrape up enough offense to make him still worth owning while you wait for Larkin to heal. Elon, like you're not reading this as like a Palmieri Hall situation. Like when Taylor Hall got injured, you were like, oh, now's a good time to own Kyle Palmieri because he's going to be the guy. Are you seeing, like, were you sort of saying the same thing about Nyquist or am I mishearing you? Well, you okay. First of all, you're misrepresenting. All I said about Paul Mary was that I didn't think it would be like as bad for him as it looked. Like you know, you would think with Hall out. Oh yeah. man, Paul Mary screwed. And I was like, well, hey, Paul Mary now will maybe take more shots or something. Uh, like and I now he has would... seven, seven, and now he has seven points in sixteen games, four points in his last eleven. Yeah, hasn't. Been... I also didn't think Taylor Hall was going to be out for like more than a, a week. Like, what is going on with Taylor Hall? Is he even? Coming back, like, I think we talked about this on the Patreon cast, where like uh, some Roto World news came out saying like uh, New Jersey has announced that Taylor Hall will not be shut down for the season yet. And it's like okay, well, thanks for making me feel better. Now you made me nervous about something that I wasn't even considering. I thought he was going to be back any day now. Ugh. Anyway, uh, as you can okay, tell, I'm a Taylor you, Hall. But you weren't. But you weren't okay. So you weren't suggesting that things are going to get better with for Nyquist or or like he'll be the guy. I think the Red Wings are in trouble without Dylan Larkin. Uh, you're looking to. Nyquist and Athanasiu and Anthony Mantha to step up with Larkin out. Um, But it's easier said than done. And frankly, I'm not optimistic that either of these guys is going to see a whole lot, a whole lot more success without Larkin than they did with. Yeah, that's fair here. Okay, Brian, here's my fantasy tip of the week. So everyone take out your pads of paper, write this down. If you do not have Gustav Nyquist in your league and if he has a slow couple of weeks because he's not playing with Dylan Larkin, let's say he goes like five games with only one assist or something like that. That's your time to make a trade offer to the Gustav Nyquist owner and just be like, hey, man, look, this guy's slowing down. I'll take him off your hands for, for you know, I'll give you whatever. And then when Larkin comes back, Nyquist just gets back to doing what he was before. Because like I said, Larkin's only going to be out one to two weeks. So I think there might be a nice buy low opportunity on Gustav Nyquist if he does struggle with Larkin out of the picture. So I'm going to be watching for that for sure in my leagues. By the way, Brian, you the Red Wings are looking good, right? They beat the Leafs. And the Sens in a back-to-back over the weekend. We actually got a tweet from Chris Nova, at CNova26. He tweeted at me, like not even to keep in Carlson, at Dubro. He said, you guys can keep the Battle of Ontario. At Detroit Red Wings beat the at Maple Leafs. They lose Larkin. And all they do is shut out the Sens after 50 minutes of hockey the next. Like, So he's like, first of all, I was like, 
I'm not even really, I don't know. He's like, you guys can keep the Battle of Ontario. So, Brian, we're going to keep the Battle of Ontario, but he's got the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, anyways, the Red Wings are looking good, right? Like, I feel like we should give this team some credit. Like, they're probably, they're not going to make the playoffs, but this team is better than we thought they were going to be. Like, good for them. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to the Red Wings. They're surprisingly average since the calendar flipped to 2019. Uh, it wasn't looking good for them before that happened, though. So they're still digging themselves out of a hole in several ways. Uh, but they do look, I'll, I'll give them, I, I hope, I hope that surprisingly average is enough of a compliment uh, for the person who tweeted us at CNOVA. Yeah. I mean, yes, I think surprisingly average is a compliment, especially because if the Red Wings don't make the playoffs, like I feel like they're looking good in a couple of years. Don't forget, they've got Zadina, who's going to come in like everyone, a really highly touted draft pick from last year. Maybe if they get, could get another good draft pick this year, this could be a team that we're going to be talking about in a couple of years. We'll obviously have to see if they could get a defenseman, but maybe they will. They've got some guys, I'm sure, in the system that will come and help at some point. But we're going to focus on the present and let's end the show with some hot streaks and cold streaks, a little lightning round, which I always call a lightning round. And then we spend another 10, 15 minutes on it. I will first start in chicago we said last show we were talking about patrick kane and we were talking about how long is it going to take him to pass his 75 points from last season we said yeah it probably won't take long maybe a week or two we definitely weren't expecting him to put up four points versus the sabers on friday and another point yesterday versus the wild to do it in two games patrick kane now has 76 points in 52 games he had 75 points all of last year in 81 games patrick kane man what a season for him but we talked about him last week so that's enough about him Everyone else, of course, is coming along for the ride and doing great, though, on Chicago. Like, we just have to put the spotlight. Like, Jonathan Taves has 20 points in his last 15 games played. He's up to 51 points in 53 games on the season, which would be which would be his highest point pace since the lockout shortened season if he could keep it up the whole way through. Brian, do we owe the people who listen to our advice to sell high on Jonathan Taves when he was hot to start the season an apology? Did we really blow it there? So... Jonathan, this is, a, this is a philosophical question. So I'm going to lay it out for you, and then I'm going to ask you the same question back. So Jonathan Taves' five-on-five five shooting percentage is double right now what it's been the last three seasons, and his expected goals rates uh, for himself are no better than they've been for the last three seasons either. So that suggests that Taves has been pretty fortunate to pick up 17 even-strength goals. That's nearly twice as many as I'd have expected him to, given his play. Uh, He's been a huge beneficiary of the crazy hot Chicago power play, too. Taves is already up to 15 power play points on the year, which is really something, given that Taves has had no more than 17 power play points in any of the seven seasons before this one. Now this year, Taves does have a bigger power play role that has helped, but so has a crazy 18 plus on ice shooting percentage. Does that make sense? A crazy on ice shooting percentage on the power play that's above 18%. That's higher than anything Taves has seen in his career. So I don't know, Elon, should we apologize if we made a call that still like seems like it was sound looking at the evidence Taves has continued to be unsustainably uh, successful I guess that we should apologize. Okay. I'm sorry, everybody. I hope that you didn't uh, trade Jonathan Taves for too little of a return, but it sounds like Brian is saying that in the long run, you're still going to have the last laugh because come the fantasy playoffs, Taves will regress (laughs) and the guy who has him or or girl who has him is going to lose and you're going to laugh at them. You'll be like, I beat you in that trade though. What we learned from Ryan Bolta is actually, you don't want that to happen. You want to say, Oh, you like when you lose a trade because then you have good relationship with the person (laughs) for the future. I love that whole segment with the mind games. So long as it doesn't actually affect you for the season you're in. Um, So for Taves, yeah, I I still would feel comfortable. I mean, Patrick Kane has been insane, and that's helped Jonathan Taves put up a lot of these points. But I still think 
deep in the core, deep at the core, Jonathan Taves is a still a 60, maybe 65 point player. Yeah, but if you're like, he's playing with Patrick Kane, normally he doesn't, right? Usually they've split them into two separate lines, but it's been Drake Kajula playing with Kane and Taves for the last couple of weeks. Kajula had like four points or three points in that game where Patrick Kane had four. So like anyone who plays with him is benefiting right now. So I could see Taves being more than a 65 point guy if he sticks with Patrick Kane and even strengthen on the power play the rest of the way, but maybe not to this extent of like a point per game overall. Uh, other guys on Chicago, not even playing with Patrick Kane at even strength are doing amazing. Like Alex Debrinkit, 14 points in his last 10 games. He's on a 73-point pace on the season. Like, this guy is a full-blown superstar at this point, in my opinion. Got to imagine the sky is the limit moving forward in a keeper league. I'd be spending a lot to get Alex to bring it if I could get him. Uh, Dylan Strom, two assists yesterday. He's got nine points in his last six games. He's obviously loving life as a Blackhawk. I actually, you know, added him and dropped him in a couple of my leagues when he got traded at some point, and then he, like, didn't do anything, and I dropped him. Now I wish I had held on to him. This guy is on fire. And then you've got Eric Gustafsson. Two goals yesterday brings him to a 54-point pace and climbing. Like, he's got 33 points in 50 games overall. Is it crazy to suggest that 60 points is potentially in the cards in reach for Eric Gustafsson? Mm, no, I guess so. Like, why not? He's also benefiting from this super hot Chicago power play. So I guess that would be the reason to say no. Eric Gustafson is not going to continue this pace, but just like Jonathan Taves, I think we enjoy this ride while it lasts while Patrick King continues to put essentially the entire team on his back. Okay, Brian, let me ask you for a super deep league. Who would you add between Oscar Lindblom, Valentin Zikov, and Drake Kajula, who, like I said, is playing on the top line with Kane and Taves. Uh, Chris in the chat room is pointing out that Kajula, even if he doesn't get your point, he's averaging like 3.5 hits per game. So that's great. Uh, but just for points, who do you like best of some of these like really deep names that we've brought up in this episode? So you said Lindblom, Kajula, who is the other one? Zikov, your favorite guy in Vegas. Zikov. I think I'll go Kajula just because his deployment is the best. And I feel like he's been in a decent spot for a little while now where Zikov, he's fallen out of favor so many times. I'm not, not confident yet that he's going to be able to hang on to that top line spot for very long, especially if Marshall still doesn't get going. You have to figure they, they, they pop Riley Smith up there before long. Yeah, I would say that Zikov is the obvious third choice, and it's between Lindblom and Kajula, and I feel it's just like a short-term, long-term thing. Like right now, I'd rather have Kajula, but I think Lindblom's going to, you know, get the most points the rest of the way because I doubt Kajula like stays there all season long. But as long as he's on that line, he's pretty good. Okay, next, let's go to Washington. TJ Oshie has been killing it lately. Eight points in his previous four games before going into today. The Capitals got shut out by Boston. So, of course, Oshie didn't continue his run, but he's been playing on the top line and top power play with Ovechkin. He's on a 58-point pace this season. Brian, do you see that 58-point pace holding? Do you see it going down to his 52-point pace from last year? Do you see it potentially going up to his 67 points from two seasons ago? Like, which, Where does TJ Oshie land for you in terms of like what is his real production that you can expect? Timothy Jimothy Oshie is definitely not going to be a 67-point player like he was two seasons ago. And Elon, I feel like you know that, like you're just saying that just to get a rise out of me, in which case, mission accomplished. Uh, Oshie has a 14% shooting success rate this year, and that's an even strength, and that's why he's floated above a 55-point pace. Uh, I think Oshie only belongs at a 55-point pace. Like, he's just kind of an annoying guy. Because he gets this goal-scoring variance working in his favor, but then Oshie doesn't actually take a lot of shots on goal. Like, he gets two per game, essentially, even though when he is helping you, it's because of the goals he's scoring. So if you're caught holding TJ Oshie, once his shooting percentages 
do begin to bite him, he offers so little value all of a sudden. So he's a guy I really encourage everyone to sell when there is a moment, perhaps like this one, to get some value back for him. Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends what you're selling him for. Like, I think TJ Oshie has an amazing floor. Like, he's playing with Alex Ovechkin, who is still just as amazing as always. He's going to be getting you at least, like, 55 points pace moving forward. And then, like, right now, he's on fire. He's doing a lot better than that. So, obviously, if you could swap him for, like, a 70-point guy, if you could get your Mika's advantage out or whatever, like, go for it. But, Brian, I'm assuming you're not saying that you think he's, like, worse than, like, a 55-point guy when he's top-line, top-power play with Alex freaking Ovechkin, my favorite guy. I'm not saying he's any better than that. I'm going to I'm going to give him a ceiling of 55 points well, in reasonable circumstances. Okay. I I'll guess be- that's not the definition of a ceiling though. I would say he's a 55 to 60 point guy. But like with Yeah, our- so I and I and I would go 50 55. Okay. I think he's reliable for 55. But okay, let's move forward. Uh have you noticed Brad Hunt? We've done, you know, this episode is all about talking about the big names. We've been talking about like the no name guys. We're trying to give you guys and everyone in between. Okay. Hope you're liking the show. Let us know at Keeping Carlson. But Brian, have you noticed that Brad Hunt has been seeing top power play time with the Minnesota Wild since joining three games ago after being traded by Vegas for a couple of late picks? Uh, so maybe I could also ask you, like, who is Brad Hunt? I remember he would every once in a while get on the Vegas top power play when their various defensemen were injured. But once Colin Miller and Shea Theodore and Nate Schmidt ha- were all back in the lineup, I guess Hunt didn't have room. And they moved him. He hardly gets any minutes, but he seems to get a lot of power play time. He must be a specialist. He scored a power play goal on Friday as his only point in three games with the Wild. But still, got to imagine Brad Hunt could be a good stream on a day when you need a power play point, like at the end of a matchup, say, because if he's on the top power play on the Wild, there's always a chance he's going to get you a power play point. Yeah, power play specialist Brad Hunt, allegedly power play specialist. Uh, he's top 50 amongst defensemen in power play on ice, expected goals for per 60 minutes since the start of last season. Uh, and being top 50 in an offensive stat for defensemen is uh, is pretty meh if you're being used as a power play specialist. Uh, he's Brad Hunt is in the top 25 in individual expected goals per 60 minutes on the power play. And that's better, but still doesn't really do much for me. Coaches love to use Brad Hunt in this role though. So I guess he's worth keeping an eye on to see if he does anything with it. Um, if he's not doing anything with it though, he's not helping you a whole lot. Maybe you'll get a couple shots, maybe a block or two. Generally not a great guy to own unless you're really trying to target a power play point with him quarterbacking that unit in Vegas yeah, or in Minnesota. Yes, in Minnesota. Maybe bad for Jared Spurgeon. Who, but I feel like Minnesota goes pretty even with their two power plays. So Spurgeon will just play as the main quarterback on the second power play, which plays almost the same amount of time. Okay, let's get to our Super Bowl relevant content of the episode and talk about the St. Louis Blues. And Brian, right now, I just took a look. It's in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. New England versus... Oh, wait, it's Los Angeles Rams? Oh, I thought it was St. Louis Rams. Years ago was when Kurt Kurt Warner, Elon, do you remember? (laughs) You made do you remember the time you made a bet that the game wouldn't go to overtime? I think it was the the St. St. Louis Rams and Tennessee Titans, if I'm remembering correctly. And you made this bet and you were so confident about it. And then there was this run on the last play of the game that ended at the goal line. Do you remember this at all? Yeah, I remember it. No, I may, there was like a glitch on some gambling website that I was frequenting at the time, which I don't <laughs> recommend young teenagers to do. But uh, they had a glitch where it was like it was like more than even odds that the game would go to overtime. Maybe it was even odds. I think I put like $100, which was a lot of money to me at the time. Uh, it still would be a lot of money. If anyone wants to donate $100 uh, to our Patreon, we'd really appreciate it. But uh, uh, yeah, and then it almost did go to overtime. 
And I was crazy, but they didn't in the end. This game right now, Brian, is three to three. And again, I apologize. I played a lot of like NFL, like Nintendo games as a kid. I think that's why I thought it was the St. Louis Rams. Uh, So it's LA Rams and New England Patriots. It's a recent move. They recently moved. This is like the score of a Bruins-Kings game, right? Like, how is this a football game? Why is it 3-3 in the fourth quarter? That's uh, pretty surprising. But okay. I've said it once. I'll say it again. The Grey Cup is better than the Super Bowl (laughs) every single year. Boo. Boring. (laughs) Okay. I don't know why I said that. I just don't like talking about the Grey Cup. Anyone who watches that is... Weirdo. What the okay. Grey Cup is a great like if you don't follow Canadian football it doesn't even matter you watch the Grey Cup you're entertained I guess so so I'll try and invite me over let's have a patron hangout for the next Grey Cup and we could all get together at some bar and watch and you could tell us why it's good I uh, love speak- that a, a patron Grey Cup party I'm in <laughs> so I guess the Super Bowl content was back when we talked about LA and I totally forgot but I do have the St. Louis <laughs> Blues that I want to talk about you could have corrected me by the way okay so Ryan O'Reilly is on fire right now. He's bringing Tarasenko and Chen along for the ride on line one. And I know it's crazy to say that Tarasenko is being brought along for the ride as he's supposed to be the superstar on this team. But I feel like Ryan O'Reilly, he's the guy on the blues. Like all three are, of course, on a huge roll right now. But Ryan O'Reilly is up to 52 points in 50 games. But maybe the question I should ask is who's going to get more points between Ryan O'Reilly and Zibanejad rest of the way? Do you have a quick answer for that? Um, no, I don't. Like, you you did tell me you were going to ask me this, so I should have had one. I guess I'm going to lean Zibanejad here, but it's it's very close. Actually, no, I'm going to go Ryan O'Reilly because of the, the friends he has to play with. I definitely will say Ryan O'Reilly. This guy is a yeah. stud. And like I said, obviously, Braden Shen and Vladimir Tarasenko getting a lot of points right along with him. Great for people who held on to Braden Shen. What an amazing spot for him to land back on playing on this top line with Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly. And yeah, he's helping you right now. And there were times earlier in the season when people were asking us if they should drop him and looking at his deployment and what he was doing, it seemed like a reasonable move. Obviously, now you're regretting it if you let go of Shen. Guess, Brian, who's been playing on the top power play with Ryan O'Reilly, Shen, Tarasenko, and Alex Petrangelo. And I know I guess you have like the answer because I wrote it in our document. But for people listening, you're never going to guess who's been playing <laughs> on the top power play. This is like, a, it's a clickbait right now. You won't guess who's playing on power play one with Ryan O'Reilly, Shen, Tarasenko, and Petrangelo. I'll just tell you guys, okay? It is not Jaden Schwartz, which is who I would have assumed is going to play there. It's not Alex Steen. It's not like anyone you would think would be on the top power play in St. Louis. But it's been a guy named Oscar Sunkvist. And while Sunkvist doesn't have any power play goals, recently even though he's been playing on the top power play he has scored in three straight games so brian of course i have to ask you who the heck is oscar sunkfist and why is he on the top power play and is he worth a stream while he stays there on the top power play uh okay so oscar sunkfist is a third round pick from back in 2012 drafted 81st overall by the pittsburgh penguins penguins traded the 24-year-old Sunkvist to St. Louis in 2017 uh, in the offseason in exchange for Ryan Reeves and a pick. Everybody loves when Ryan Reeves gets traded, so there's one example. And Sunkvist has seemed like a decent producer at the AHL level, but has just 26 points, 13 goals, 13 assists uh, in 112 NHL games to date. Uh, the nice thing about Sunkvist and the reason he's caught your eye is that he's seen a bump in deployment over his last 10 games that he's never before had in his career. He's averaging 16 and a half minutes of ice in this little stretch. And 
He's looking pretty good with the time he does get. You look at his rate stats and in shot attempts and expected goals for, uh, he's amongst the top five blues at five on five. So maybe there is something to Sunkvist. Uh, I like that he's playing on this power play unit, but I don't like that at five on five, he's playing with Zach Sanford and Patrick Maroon. So that sort of uh, washes out some of the good of him getting good power play deployment, but maybe this is a chance where he can crack the top six or be part of a meaningful top nine. Yeah. And Brian, I guess let's add him to our list of deep league players that we're ranking. Who would you rather have between Sunkvist and Lindblom and Kajula? Like I think you mentioned to me before we started recording, someone told you St. Louis plays four times every week for the next like three weeks. So this would be a good team to stream someone in on. If you're in a deep league is Sunkvist this guy. Yeah, and shout out to uh, at Hockey Feed St. Louis or STL for the reminder that the Blues play four games a week for the next three weeks. I would like I'll try Sungvist on this top power play unit because at even strength he does seem like he is a reasonably good offensive producer who just has not been given the opportunity to really strut his stuff yet. So uh, I-, I think I'd still prefer Kajula. Uh, you know I'm sort of down on Lindblom because I've been on that before and not gotten a lot from it. So I think maybe that maybe that's just my own personal bias and I'm looking for something new. Um, but uh, Sunkvist is definitely in the picture. Okay, it's a sunny time for Sunkvist, and that was terrible, and I apologize. Also on St. Louis is Jaden Schwartz, a snoozer at this point. He's playing on the second line with Bozak and Steen, seeing second power play with, like, similar nobodies, quote-unquote, I guess. Uh, Like, four points in his last 10 games for Schwartz. He's got 21 points in 37 games on the season. That's a meager 47-point pace, a far cry from his 59 points in 62 games last year. Yikes. Something is wrong with Jaden Schwartz. Obviously, part of it is his deployment, but he had a chance with good deployment and just couldn't do anything with it, which is probably a big reason why he's been bumped. Are you still holding on to him in any leagues or are you letting him go and going to stream in one of our deep guys or maybe if you get like a connect knee or I don't know like what level your different leagues are, but I feel like Jaden Schwartz might be a snoozer at this point if you're holding on to him and not considering letting him go. Yeah, you've got to consider at least streaming him out. He's still putting up pretty good shot numbers, uh, which is something that we've watched sort of ebb and flow over the course of recent years. But so far, he has 103 shots in 37 games. So that's good for uh, like two and a half per game. And over his last handful, uh, he has 14 shots in his last four games, which is encouraging. It's unfortunate he really just can't do a whole lot with them. One reason that nothing's happening for him or it's not showing up on the score sheet he has just three goals this season because he's shooting 2.9%. He's a career 12.5% shooters. So you have to think that things will turn around for Schwartz at least somewhat at some point this year. He's better than his point totals indicate. So he could be a good buy low candidate or even like add for free from free agency candidate because once those things uh, once his shooting percentage does start regressing we will see that like he's still a 2025 goal scorer yeah I, i'm kind of seeing Jaden schwartz similar to uh jonathan marshall so maybe like a jonathan marshall so light like he's taking shots like you say but not much is going in and also i don't like his line mates as much as i used to so we'll see which one of them bounces back first if any but yeah, i think you might but like we said though st louis is playing four times in each of the next three weeks so if you've held on to Jaden schwartz this long maybe you hold on a little bit longer you're gonna at least get a lot of games out of him also brian remember there was a guy in st louis named robbie fabry <laughs> i feel really like he's healthy now finally but he's getting scratched all the time like I guess maybe he's had trouble bouncing back from his injury. This was a highly touted prospect at one point. Right now, it's, he's having trouble cracking the lineup. 
I don't have a fantasy question for you. Well, I guess maybe like in a deep dynasty league, I'd be interested to know if you'd want to hang on to. Maybe some people are wondering. I'd be curious to ask Cam Robinson what his thoughts are on Fabry moving forward because right now he is getting healthy scratch and that is not good for a potentially uh, like, you know, a high round draft pick that was supposed to be a good prospect. Yeah, when Fabry does play, he's seeing fourth line minutes. So there's really not a lot to like about him. He's a guy that I've had a lot of patience for in the past. But of course, so long as this is happening to him, there's pretty much zero interest in him as a St. Louis Blue. I wonder if he's a guy who gets a change of scenery at some point. Like if St. Louis wants to try and make a playoff run, maybe he's a good trade chip. They don't want him, but probably a, a developing, growing team trying to build their pool of prospects and young talent might bite on him. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe he will be someone who gets moved. There are a lot of teams that are maybe looking to rent out a player, you know, like have a player that's going to be a free agent in the summer. You know, Columbus obviously comes to mind. Maybe they would be happy to get a nice prospect that could be good. You know, maybe once Robbie Fabry has a full summer to actually be healthy and train. Who knows? Okay, final team of the episode. I want to go to Buffalo. Brian Carter Hutton is ice cold. He's had a sub 900 save percentage in each of his last four starts. He's at 895 save percentage over the past couple of months. That's 12 games. And also over the past couple of months, Linus Allmark, the supposed backup, he's also played 12 games. He's not even a backup. They've been splitting time for the last couple of months. And Allmark has been better. He's at a 908 save percentage in his last 12 games, which I believe is above average for this season. So Allmark has been good. Carter Hutton has been bad. Moving forward, do you see this as a timeshare? Like, do you think Hutton and Allmark will be splitting time the rest of the way? Or do you still see Hutton as the starter and he'll eventually earn that starting job back and be the guy you want to have on your team? Because if you have Carter Hutton at this point, and if you're in a league where other timeshare guys generally fall to free agency, you know, if like Reimer and Luongo are there, or like Varlamov, and you know, like, is Carter Hutton in a group like that? Or is he still worth holding? Like, He had that great start to the season, but right now it is not looking good for him. No, it's not looking good for Carter Hutton. And you you look at Salinas Allmark to see, well, which guy should the Sabres be playing? And Allmark is the one with the highest five-on-five save percentage. And he's playing above his expected save percentage just by a smidge, but still doing it. While Carter Hutton is playing below his expected save percentage to a greater extent than Carter uh, than Linus Allmark is outplaying his own. So, uh, like, the thing that saved Hutton so far, I think, is that he's put in some good time on the penalty kill and put up some good numbers there. But without that, and it's not necessarily sustainable, I think this choice between Hutton and Allmark as the goalie in, in Buffalo going forward this year would be even more crystal clear to lean towards Linus Allmark. So if you're in a league where you're looking for a goalie, you need some starts and saves, and Linus Allmark is out there, he's probably worth grabbing. Yeah, if you want to get every second Buffalo Sabres game, you could probably get that with Linus Allmark. There's another question if you want that, but uh, Allmark has been pretty decent, right? And I guess it sounds like the corollary is you're saying people might be wanting to drop Carter Hutton or try to trade him to someone who still sees him as a starting goalie because he might not be someone you could depend on in your fantasy playoffs. Okay, so we've talked about Hutton versus Allmark. Here's maybe a more fun question. Who's going to get more starts the rest of the way between Carter Hutton and Sergei Bobrovsky, because right now in Columbus, it seems like Bobrovsky and Corpusalo are basically splitting starts. And that is obviously not what people who drafted Bobrovsky, such as you, early in their drafts or for a high auction cost were expecting. Bobrovsky owners are definitely hurting. It's not fun to see, well, one, he's struggling when he does play, and then you're not even sure that he's going to play. So uh, if you're wondering who between Bobrovsky and Hutton gets more starts, I'm going to say it's Sergei Bobrovsky, but perhaps for another team. And for the record, according to goal saves above average, uh, Bobrovsky is below an NHL average goalie this year, like Carter Hutton, but 
not seeing as large a gap between his own play and uh, the expected save percentage that he should have compared to Hutton. So that that's my like barely silver lining. What's a darker lining than silver? Yeah. Okay. You're basically saying, oh, I'm not going to answer that boring question, but I So you're basically <laughs> saying that Bobrovsky's been bad, but at least Hutton has been worse. Okay. Maybe the more interesting question is actually, who would you rather add? If you need a goalie right now and Linus Allmark and Corpusalo are both available, who would you add between those two? Oh, that's a good one. Well, you'd go Allmark if you want an immediate payoff and you don't care so much about wins. But if you hope that the Blue Jackets trade Bobrovsky without getting a warm body goalie back to replace his starts, then Corpusalo will be uh, probably a, I don't know, he might not be as good as Allmark, but he'll be playing on a better team. Yeah. Also, to be fair, like Corpusalo is actually getting a decent number of starts right now, even with Bobrovsky there. But yeah, it's a tough decision. Obviously, there's no right or wrong answer. We'll have to wait and see how things shake out at the trade deadline yeah. and beyond. And, yes. and also, just to say, like Corpusalo not having a very good season himself, 901 over 20 games played, 16 starts. Uh, of his 16 starts, 31% of them have been quality starts. And that's sort of in line with his career numbers. Like last season, Corpusalo was an 897 with a 41% quality start percentage. The year before, Corpusalo was a 905. Uh, with quality starts in less than half his starts as well. In his very first season as a 21-year-old, that was Corpusalo's best year. He he started 30 times, saw a quality start in 53% of those starts, and at a 920 save percentage, he has not even come close to approaching those numbers since. So I'm kind of about ready to give up on Eunice Corpusalo, which is why I think, and I feel like the Blue Jackets have sort of uh, coyly stated this, but if they were to trade Bobrovsky, I think they would be looking for an actual goalie who could play for them in return. Yeah, I think back when Corpusalo had that good run, that was when Bobrovsky was injured. And maybe, you know, so you could always go with the narrative, like Corpusalo is good if he gets a lot of starts in a row and maybe, uh, well, whatever. Like, that's probably a silly narrative. By the way, Chris in the chat room saved me because uh, I, I guess, was mean and a bad friend. I didn't answer your question of what's a darker light lining than a silver lining. Chris, a darker than the inside of a coffin on a moonless night, silver lining is probably the darkest lining. So there you go. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Brian, you can make that the episode title because... <laughs> We are done with another episode of Keeping Carlson. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Anyone who joined us live, we really appreciate you in the chat room. And everyone who's still listening and downloading the show every single week, we, of course, really appreciate having you as listeners to our almost two-hour fantasy hockey podcast week in and week out. If you like the show, hey, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you think. We're also open to some critiques or criticism. We'd love to hear that on Twitter. Not so much on iTunes, but if you do like the show, we'd love to get your five-star review on iTunes. That really is a nice way to help the show. It doesn't cost you anything, and it raises our profile. So if you'd be so kind, head on over to iTunes or whatever site you use to rank podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Say some nice words, and we will appreciate it very, very much. If you really want to support the show, you could always become a patron of keeping carlson we give you a ton of perks for a measly five dollars a month and no it's not too late i know it's like the end of the season thing ah, I, I didn't join it maybe next year hey you could sign up be a patron for a couple of months get our advice in our patron only facebook group to help you with your trade deadline and your fantasy hockey playoffs and then if you don't like it you could leave right you can cancel anytime on patreon so something to consider at least check it out keepingcarlson.com slash patron but with that let's cue the outro music and brian why don't you go ahead and read us the credits Okay, sure thing. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. It was researched with help from 
Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trek, Evolving Hockey, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, NHL Names, and Yahoo. All right. Yeah, NHL Names getting in our list. Cool. Thanks again, Brian. And thanks again, everyone. Great job. Brian, I'm looking forward to talking to you next week, 8 p.m., keepingcarlson.com slash live every Sunday if you want to join us live. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.